0: The Diary of a CTO podcast, sharing the secrets of successful CTOs, brought to you by Trumor, the home of technology recruitment, hosted
1: by Guy Bevington.
0: Okay, Matt, huge, I'm not going to pick up my coffee, I'll pick up the beer, huge hello. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for uh, joining us today.
1: Happy to be here the impact.
0: not a problem at all um so uh, i guess matt by way of introduction you're uh, currently the cto of uh, telarium mm-hmm. um which is a tech platform which helps reduce the um complexity of the energy trading market uh, which i'm sure we'll go into a little bit more detail around because it sounds very interesting um you you founded well you Found the business, but you joined um, or the business was founded in 2015. Uh, Before that, you were CTO of other um, financial institutions, even worked some of the bigger corporations like Bloomberg as well. I noticed. Um, So, uh, yeah, I'm sure you've got lots of uh, perspective and and wisdom you can share with us today uh, on your journey into tech leadership. So, I thought it'd be great to start at the beginning if you could kind of just give us a bit of an overview of your your background and uh, yeah, how you got into tech in the first place. That would be fantastic.
1: Yeah, of course. So, working forwards, um, the first time I was interested in uh, the, well, let's say software development in general was when it came to making games. Obviously, when you're 11, 12 years old, that's the coolest thing that you could possibly do. Indeed. (laughs) Um, So I sort of had one go at it. I was hooked. I knew this is something I wanted to do for a very long time. Um, and the interest slowly, slowly changed from, say, making games. I made mean, things like Pong and everything else like that. To uh, how does this work? How does that work? And before I knew it, I got into operating systems. So this is you know Windows and uh, Linux, but it's this idea of being the first thing that runs on a computer when you. And so I, I kind of did that, but it was always this. Oh, let's get to this stage. Ah, but it'd be really cool if it did this. And before you know it, you're kind of uh, pulling at that thread, and you've got something that kind of, in many ways, is fairly complete as well. So, cool. so you totally
0: uh, self-taught? Beginning into and getting into, into technical yeah, coding.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um What's great is there's so many resources out there, and if you're the sort of person who says, "I really have to know this," then. Software development, in many ways, is the field for you. Um, So I did all of that before I went to university, Um, went to Imperial. It was a a good three years, and then decided, okay, I I need to get a job. Uh, So (laughs) I, and of course, the average graduate entering the job market has yet to discover their preferences, to put it politely. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: a very diplomatic way of putting
1: it. so I got a job at Bloomberg, uh, it lasted four or five months. Um, I think it was really two factors why I didn't feel a fit there. One was, I think for me, I've always had a really good sense of what's valuable to work on. What can I do right now that'd be the most valuable thing? And that's the kind of skill, hopefully, that's in demand at startups a lot. Um, mm. So that was one factor. And the second was, it's a large company. And you know, large companies have all sorts of other things going on as well. And if you're the kind of person who just says, I want to do this and focus on this, um, it, it sort of made the choice very easy because uh, I ended up uh, taking a position at that I was the first uh, non-partner uh, employee, I think. So, yeah, it, you know, right? yeah, it was a unique opportunity. Like um, the ground level. Yes, exactly. And thrown right into it as well. Um So really taking that on and and learning quickly, I found that was a really much better story to tell. It was something I was a lot more engaged in, and I think it's easy to say in a large company, well, you can join it, you can leave, but at the end of the day, there's not really uh, a huge incentive. No no one says, it's that guy who's written this or written that, just sort of all merges into one as well. Whereas a startup, you get that sense of agency, you know, you have some work, you can easily see the effects of that work either directly by, say, going to the user or um, in the case of a hedge fund, seeing it in the markets or uh, talking to, the, say, a salesperson um, yeah. where we are as well. So I think that was a big factor for me. And at that point, you start mm-hmm. to discover a lot about what actually makes you tick in the the first couple of years. Um, so moving on from uh, aspiratus, I mean, as the firm... Grew. We never got to a huge size, but I actually kind of liked it that way. Um, I just took it the opportunity just to learn as much as possible. But we were working with some fairly old uh, technologies, so things like C plus plus and Perl. It's great; they have their place, but you can tell that in many areas the tech stacks, the languages have moved on. It's really uh, good for learning how to execute well because these hedge funds typically have a sort of single goal. Um, but I wanted something a bit more open-ended after a while um, and with a more modern tech stack and for me it's Larry what's that place to go. Cool
0: okay fantastic yeah well, that's uh, really interesting insight it's amazing actually you went from Bloomberg obviously was that, that was your first role out of university was it into a CTA role yeah I And mean, that's a pretty uh, phenomenal <laughs> progression I don't know many people that have uh, done that as their second job going into a CTA so what um, what did you feel you had to adopt about your approach uh, going from a hands-on engineer straight into a CTO role? You know, Were there particular skills you felt you had to really pick up and hone very quickly, or did you not really find the transition too much of a uh, you know, a difficulty? How did you feel about that?
1: So it's worth pointing out here, actually, and maybe that's a correction, that uh, I uh, was a sort of junior for a little bit and then made my way into the CTO position. Uh, okay, but effectively, okay. I mean, it, it was quicker than think as well. Um, there are all sorts of personnel changes as there are at every organization. So I think by the time I was 23 or 24, I was the most senior technology guy in that place. Yeah, it's a, it's a place of 10, 10 employees, but it's still this, I'm not even sure how a hedge fund works. And then you have to learn everything <laughs> and then you realize there's no one else that can teach you. And learning mm-hmm. that kind of sense of independence is something that starts you on a very good path. It's certainly a very uh, tricky first few years to it, but that's that's the uh, the responsibility that you get and that's how you kind of evolve from there as well. So yeah. I, I liked it because again, <coughs> it's kind of selecting for that valuable skill of just do the most valuable thing next and that's uh, the main theme that I have I think has applied to all the places I've worked at and in most cases it's been fairly obvious what to do as well. If you can cut the crap and just work on uh, the next thing then um, you can go quite a long way at these places and
0: yeah, and do you think it's fair to say that you know, hearing about your story of you know teaching yourself how to program computer games, in know, in a way, sort of primed you with a bit of a mindset of being curious and just understanding how things work and actually thinking, "We're well, hot on it. There's probably a solution here I can find," um, you know, and sort of uh, yeah, helping you that way.
1: Very much so. I think uh, I was that kind of insatiable learner. There's always something to learn next, and there's this sense of if you go down a little bit further chances are you might need to know it and you won't have enough time to learn it as well so I think that sense of curiosity has also been a central uh value in what I've done and and that's kind of taken me down a very interesting and winding road but it's kind of interesting to see where the journey goes after that as well
0: yeah yeah cool okay fantastic um so let's talk a little bit about Lauren then as the CTO of, of that business so um, from my understanding, doing a little bit of um, uh, research into the business. So, on the website, it mentions it, the platform uses a lot of advanced data science and machine learning um, across lots of markets to provide insight and, and clarity in opaque and noisy energy markets. So, talk to us a little bit about the platform, your approach, and uh,
1: yeah, how, how you go about building it. Sure. So, the fundamental problem here is that if you're an energy trader, most people on the street would automatically think it's surrounded by banks' screens and you could do everything and trade electronically. Mm. Not quite so much. Um, Really, I would say a lot of it's 10, 20, 25 years behind what, say, the equity markets are doing. So on the first day on the job, you'll get two things. You'll get a copy of Excel and you'll get, um, say, a messaging account. IceChat is a good example. And... You'll get lots of quotes coming in, and someone will say, well, can you uh, can you make something of this? And uh, one of the central problems you'll find is that you'll spend ages just keeping track of, okay, there's this contract, let's say for propane in northwest Europe, Amsterdam, for example. Um, what do I need to, uh, to know is the true value, um, and can I spot an opportunity are basically the two questions that you ask. So a lot yep. of traders will just draw together what they call a price sheet, in Excel and uh, they'll spend like a good majority of their day doing that but you don't need to you know the what you see over chat what you see over voice those are just numbers and yeah. recognitions come a long way so why not just replace that whole Excel with something that you can see in uh, a, a terminal we take care of all the transcription that Freeze literally hours of the day up for energy traders as well. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of the first phase, building this terminal, especially for these high-volume guys and sort of center guys of the market in naphtha, propane, etc. The so, second.
0: Sorry, to interrupt. But where would they've got that data from in the more manual kind of Excel fashion?
1: Uh, uh, so yeah, the bit I missed here was uh, they send the uh, brokers send them data. Brokers um, still form the kind of center of this market. So it's very much a kind of pick up the phone and get the deal done sort of market, very open counter as such. Um, So they'll have a ton of brokers because they'll be doing a fair bit of um, business. And so they'll get all of this uh, data in. Um, They'll be bombarded with, say, 5,000 chat messages a day or more. And the unlucky uh, souls might have a voice box, in which case it's just going all day, every day with really valuable market data. But let's say you step away from the you know desk for a second, you've just lost all that data coming into you as well. So keeping on track of that kind of torrent of data was something we saw as a essential problem there.
0: Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. And the I'm sorry, I interrupted you, and you talk talking about the next piece of the puzzle.
1: That's right, yeah. <laughs> so it does link into this because what we realized is that we were ingesting a lot of, um, high quality data and we realized well actually there's a good uh, product that we can make out of this we actually have a really good idea let's say we um, process all of those quotes where the market actually is or should be um, so you can feed that into a big model and that can tell you okay given these 10 broker prices for example I reckon the single fair value the value that really everyone should be trading at is this um, Okay. so We've been working on T-curves for the last 18 months, two years, and that's um, something we're rolling out to customers because everybody uh, needs a complete view of the market and just the way that uh, these organizations work and the fact that there's like 200 plus products that people can trade out there, it means that nobody, even the super majors, has a really good idea of, you know, what their profit and loss is during the day or all these kind of common problems as well. So. Feeding it into this model, figuring out uh, a lot of things really from scratch because nobody's done this in the market before was yeah. uh, proving yeah quite the challenge, but uh, hopefully a uh, uh, edifying one and and a profitable one as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I can definitely see the uh, the, the market gap and and the need for such a, a product, and it it's it's amazing really. I guess it. It hasn't existed before Talarum. Absolutely, uh, yeah. That's
1: what very, I thought when I first uh, heard yeah. about it as well. Yeah.
0: It's not exactly an unknown market, is it? You know, it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's a it's a big old market, but um, interesting. So, talk me through then um, what have been some of the unforeseen challenges that you just you know kind of totally blindsided by and were thinking right, okay, we've really got to really got to uh, you know think think on the solution for this.
1: Mm. I'd say. One of the challenges comes from selling it, i.e. these are fairly attention-staffed guys. You're actually helping them to get more attention in the day, let's say, but sort of convincing them that this is the way to go, that we're trying to augment what we're doing rather than upset it, uh, yeah. is something that you know we're always trying to solve. So that, that's it from kind of sales efforts. Um, I would say in terms of the engineering, um, there's a lot of uh, research going on into how to clean up some of these data sets. It's really not obvious, like... Um, Brokers can mistype things. And it's it's interesting because humans are really good at picking out, okay, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. Uh, computers don't really do that uh, yeah. well to the same degree. Even though we've solved these much more complex problems using computers, yeah. uh, this is something where nobody's applied some of that research to our market before as well. So that's been the a kind of a interesting technical challenge and was sort of on the cusp of, of getting a lot of those things solved and rolled out as well. So it's... There's always the impatience of ah, oh, it's so good, let's get it out. But we yeah. want to make a quality product that users yeah, yeah, can yeah. trust right off the bat.
0: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's, it's spotting the outlier, and I guess that that in, inherently is where the uh, a lot of the conversations happen within um, you know, machine learning and uh, yep. AI. Let's call it yeah, yep. in terms of actually understanding the context and how humans are a lot better at spotting that that rogue number. Um, yeah, exactly. Context a bit more,
1: and it's this sense of. Uh, it isn't the most um, glamorous thing, but actually everyone's going to benefit if the if we have good clean data sets that we can do energy trading off of as well, because literally everybody in earth consumes is a it takes part of in that industry in some way. Yeah, well. yeah. So yeah, it's uh, it was good.
0: Absolutely, I'm sold. <laughs> Saving the planet day by day. That's right. Uh, cool, great. Well, that sounds like a really cool product, and I can definitely see how be very interesting from a technical perspective uh, to build. Um, so, let's talk a little bit about you as a CTO and your leadership style. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what do you feel? You know, having been in the industry for a number of years now, and and your experience of of being a CTO, leading people, growing teams. What do you feel? are some of the most valuable qualities of a, a tech leader?
1: So I think it's a really good alignment of management style with the problem at hand. Now, there are a lot of software companies out there doing fairly day-to-day things, and that's great. That's a service to be provided. you know. And a lot of these things have been done 100 times before, but they need to be done in a particular way. So that's going to necess- necessitate sorry, a different management style from a very much more open Uh, problem set so here we look at it and go yeah we we could build this and in fact the terminal people have built financial terminals before were hardly the first Um, but I would say that second phase of uh, how do we here's this challenge how do we solve it I can't tell you that I'm not an all-knowing manager but letting people sort of uh, be much more free in terms of how they go about solving the problem um, and learning to kind of lead from the back. Um, I know these are all tired b- business school phrases. I think perhaps. you're right though. The autonomy, the
0: autonomy, <laughs> autonomy piece, yeah. I think, is 100%. You know, And I think it really does transcend industries as well, uh, you know, from really good leaders that um, we were talking recently about, the whole damn pink. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that, but there's a, well, I've written a whole book on it, but it was a video I saw certainly a few uh, years ago around uh, autonomy, mastery and purpose and yeah. autonomy, you know, is one of the key things that to really get the best out of somebody you know you've got to give them the ability to and that's why you hire people at the end of the day right it's obviously use their brains and give them the creativity you know the freedom to, to come up with a solution themselves
1: that's true so it sort of shifts from this very task activity project focused way of management you need to do x by y date to being this kind of coach um you know friend mentor type thing where you step away from i don't need to know the specifics of what you're doing, because you can't possibly know all the details of everything, to um, do you feel like you have this problem? Okay, talk me through what you've done to solve that. So sort of turning them uh, some of the questions back onto people and saying, well, I'd like to hear from you and uh, how you might go about doing it. And I find this, especially when I'm talking with others, is that sometimes it just uh, makes a lot of sense just to verbalize things. You, you actually have the solution. It's just whatever reason you don't want to realize it yet but talking to someone else makes you go oh yeah of course that's yeah, the way yeah. it should be
0: so. absolutely yes yeah. it's, it's the blended approach isn't it obviously as a leader you'd like to think you've got a pretty good input on what you feel the solution could be yep. but in the same breath it is sometimes great just to hear you because know, very often when I ask somebody in my team like if this, this is a situation what do you think the solution is you know I think it's good management to just get input from everybody anyway and also helps from a time-saving point of view for you always having to come up with a solution yourself but sometimes you know somebody will say something you're like jesus i actually didn't think of that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is better than what i was gonna do you're actually quite uh, good yeah, yeah. yeah exactly um so uh, yeah, it's definitely that element of uh, of humility that, that goes along with it um yeah, so quite uh, yeah okay cool and um how as a CTO, you know what approaches do you take to build high-performing uh, teams? And that could be, you know, from a, an engineering perspective or just if there's anything from, a, uh, again, another sort of management style. But, um, but yeah, is there anything you, you kind of use as a go-to approach that uh, you feel has served you well?
1: So in a sort of unusual position at the moment where it's a relatively small team, but I would say a relatively high-performing one as well. Um, so there's really a couple of... Uh, techniques I like to use. One is a sense of principles. There's Much better than rules are principles plus judgment. And if you don't give people their own professional judgment or let them judge, um, then you'll end up in a situation where they eventually uh, ask for help tying their shoelaces. So it's that sense of learned dependency that you kind of really want to stay away from and could be really um, dangerous in, in these kind of uh, domains as well. Uh, I think the second is... Uh, a sense of direction saying, okay, here's what needs to be solved. I'm pretty convinced you can solve it. And I know this has been solved in some different form elsewhere. Let me know what you think about it. Um, Let them, uh, people work their way up from very task-based activity-based things to projects, to deliverables. And before they know it, you know, they're off going somewhere else into a career where they've discovered that same sense of, as you were mentioning, autonomy, mastery, and, and purpose as well. So, Really being conscious of that, trying to step away from the solutionizing project side of things, um, that's that's been the main focus. And I think um, you end up with surprisingly good progress in, in many people because a lot of people are just dying just to let you know get their boss to stop um, solving their problems for them. They just want to yeah. solve them themselves as well.
0: Yeah, I love that. And uh, it's really interesting when you talk about the dependency side of things because that kind of really triggered in my mind kind of a, a situation. I mean, I've worked in rec- I've been in recruitment for 15 years, and I've worked in, and I think a lot of it is fed down from the you know, top down culture. So I've definitely worked in some recruitment companies where you have people literally asking you the most inane question because the, the the culture of the business is so sort of, you know, like draconian and you can't put a foot wrong or if you do this and then you, you end up answering just a load of questions. Where, come on, like you yeah. you know the answer to that. Like, I would equate it to like when you're in class and you're like four years old and you put your hand up and go, Miss, can I turn the page, please? Or, or <laughs> can I go to the toilet or whatever? And I'm like, I spend most of my day sort of answering those kind of questions. and I'm thinking, why? Why is that? But I think you're dead right. It's that learned dependency part of it of you know, people... Get programmed, I guess, to a certain way, don't they? They feel like they've got the, got the trust to, you know, have that autonomy and be creative for their own battle. Actually, they feel like they they have to continue down this route, and then it, you know, really creates quite a lot of bind on everybody's uh, time and and uh, yeah, emotions, I guess. But uh,
1: that's a really good point because I say with these uh, things that everything becomes a people job after a while. You know, in recruitment, it's making calls in software development, it's writing code. You can't listen to every call that's being made and join every call that uh, you know with a candidate or with a client. And in the same way, you can't sit down and write every line of code. And the farther you step away from the, that, um, the more effective that you're going to be, and the more that people are going to go, "Yeah, this is a place where if you know what you're doing, you're kind of left alone to do it. You get a good sense of where you need to go with it, yeah. and you get support if you need it." But you know, that's that's a sort of uh, Autonomy that I, I hope to build, and obviously, that's there's always temptations along the way, and nobody's perfect at creating that environment. But it's good to have a sense of, you know, where you want to go with that as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I heard um, a great description of that uh, quite recently around as a leader. One of the one of the really important things is you know over communicate the, the strategy and the vision, but you know under communicate the tactics you know, yep. because ultimately it's safe yeah. to rely on people to come up with those tactics and so.
1: and in a startup <coughs> the funding cycle if you're doing it right should last you 18 months two years that's uh, a usually a place where you can be drawn into a tactical approach you go yeah well we need to make the next six 12 months count and before you know it it's a great team but the company's kind of not really going in the direction it showed as well
0: absolutely absolutely yeah and speaking of timeframes, um, I suppose we, we've spoken a little bit about data science and machine learning, and obviously how it's used in the uh, in in the platform. But um, yeah, you know, it clearly is uh, the tech world an incredibly evolving space at the moment. Um, you know, with the rise of, of uh, a lot of the, the large language models and, and you know, general AI platforms out there, um, what are you? Most excited by as a CTO in terms of emerging trends in the market and you know where we're where we sort of headed technically, um, yeah. What, what still floats your boat?
1: So to address the large language models point, because it's impossible, I think, to appear on a podcast with at least without um, talking about it at least once. Uh, I would say here that there's really two angles to it, and I know this was a subject that we covered uh, at the dinner recently, but um, one of the Uh, places where it's really good and i think a little understated a little underused is it makes people communicate better you know if you prompt this and say please reword this so it sounds more authoritative or um Mm -hmm. you know pared back or something like that then that's actually something where there isn't a whole a bunch of facts that it needs to go check it can actually be a good composer and we often don't give that kind of uh sense of work credit we just write an email write a document well that, it takes part of the writing phase and the, you as the human can work on the editing phase there as well what i see an overstatement on is this kind of statements of facts write this code tell me this fact about this u.s president and you go yeah but you're kind of trusting it implicitly and you need to go um search somewhere else to make sure that fact is exactly correct so yeah. what are you really gaining by that yeah
0: absolutely And i'll give you a great example of that i mean i mm. I totally agree with you, you know, and certainly GPT as a tool, we found hundreds of uses for it in um, day-to-day recruitment of actually how we can just minimise a lot of the initial grunt work. For instance, so if we're we're working with a candidate and we want to, um, you know, anonymise their CV for whatever reason and just sort of give a nice pricey of their background, skills, and experience, you know, something that could have taken 15 minutes, actually, you get you still got to add into it, obviously, but you get the sort of the, the foundation of that email within. 10 seconds flat and you know so lots and lots of amazing uses but um one of the things i always do when preparing for a podcast as well especially if it's a business we haven't necessarily um done a huge amount of work with in the past is uh you know i'll ask uh chat that this is this is um this particular business and interested to understand you know um opportunities where this business is you know and, and basically just sort of get some insight into the market and one of the things actually that it came out with with talarium was uh Saying our oh, telarium specialises in blockchain technology, hey. and I, I was thinking, used to me, <laughs> yeah. And I was thinking, interesting, because I didn't know it was blockchain. But from our previous chats, obviously we spoke about, you know, it was more data focused. So, um, but it kind of it was the first thing it said, like very bold. And and I actually went back to it and gave, where did you get that information from? <laughs> and it says, oh, sorry for the confusion. That was my um, uh, assumption. And I was like. I mean, I actually then copied and pasted a portion of the, the homepage and go, by the way, it says, you know, specialize in advanced analytics and machine learning. And it just boldly came out as something it wasn't true, you know. And if, you, if I hadn't fact checked that, or, you know, yeah. it, and that's the scary thing. I think we can all enter into this sort of ignorant stage where actually we're, we're just relying on the answers to come from this, you know, automated place that actually is quite dangerous, really.
1: What's funny about your example is that it had that second phase. It knew that it wasn't sure about it. And the best first answer would have been, I, th- I think there isn't a
0: yeah.
1: um, I'm not confident about this angle to a lot of the answers that you see. And yeah, but actually, yeah. that's kind of important because the real world is this messy place where facts are you know, not always 100% yeah. there as well. Not
0: ones and zeros. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, so really, really great chat Matt really enjoyed uh speaking with you today one of the things I always like to do to kind of draw to a close any any podcast is ask for your favorite piece of advice that you've ever received um either you've received or you've given somebody else or something that really that kind of sees you through um you know on a day-to-day basis is there anything that sort of sits sits at the back of your mind as something <laughs> that you would uh you'd proffer
1: sure well I always pontificate on a regular basis as I'm sure um <laughs> As people might think, um, what I'd say is, uh, do it, do it well, do it fast. It's so easy to think, okay, well, everything I have to do, I have to do it well, or it has to be done fast. And actually, when you see, you know, when I was starting out, I thought the best thing I can do is do this thing fast. Well, that's the third step: just doing it, getting it done. Yeah. Good enough is good enough is a really practical way to actually get most things done because you'll always have more problems than you can solve. And giving that kind of license to people to say, yeah. Just do it is, uh, <coughs> is often the first way to go as well.
0: Yeah, I love that, and I think it's it's so true. It's not that I like to quote or give a huge amount of credit to Mark Zuckerberg, but it is the whole Facebook, like, fail fast thing, isn't it? Um, yeah. You know, and, and, and also I, I, it's something we definitely fall foul of in the recruitment industry sometimes. It's like there's no such thing as perfect.
1: It's that fear of failure. That, that sort of links into that psychological thing of, oh, crap, yeah. what happens if I get Wrong, and yeah. Most people go mm, well. I can always put that action off until some later date, yeah.
0: So 100%, 100%, especially in recruitment as well. When you know, nine times out of ten, um, obviously, you know, you never want any of your actions to impact negatively on the client, but most of the time, yeah. when any of you, somebody's worried about doing something, it's more in their own mind about the way it will make them feel rather than actually anything in the real world that's going to you know, they yeah. might have trepidation about making a certain call because you know telling the candidate they haven't got the role or whatever and i'm like it's never as bad as you actually think it is so just do it and you know um like I say do it fast and get it over with and, you know
1: exactly and actually say it's a healthy response there because you're actually focusing on something that you should be focusing on as well yeah you might be worried about it going wrong but actually your brain is putting you know your example that that response right at the front of your mind as well so don't run away from that feeling yeah know, go towards it as well perhaps
0: yeah absolutely Fantastic. Well, Matt, really appreciate you coming in today. Uh, Really great chat. Thanks for uh, being here with us. And love to have you back on again in future. And I'm sure we'll uh, chew on another set of topics. But (laughs) uh, yeah, I wish all the very best in your continued success at Delarium And uh, yeah, we'll keep up with your progress uh, very closely.
1: Thanks very much. Good to be here.